0: Let's turn back over to John chapter 13 and I want to go back to talking about loving other people the way that God loves us and really all I've done is just make a a point but I've been emphasizing about how God loves us and today I was talking about how it's unconditional that God doesn't love us because we are worth loving because of some great value on our part it's because he is a great God and He is love. 1 John chapter 4 verse 8. And I think that that's a beginning place. For you to love other people the way that God has loved you, you have to understand that God's love is not based on your performance. And I tell you, I, I remember talking to a couple one time that the husband was just mean. And he was treating his wife mean. And she was saying, how could I love him? And I, I explained to her some of these things. And I said, you just choose to love him independent of his performance. And it just set her free. I mean, it set her free. It frees you up when you don't have to reject a person because they do something wrong. And she started loving this man unconditionally. And it turns out that the man... I I told her this. I said, the reason he's mean towards you is because that's the way he's been taught. And he doesn't like himself... He doesn't like people, and how can he give away what he doesn't have? He's never seen love. If you would model a God kind of love and start giving him an unconditional love, then he could turn around and return it and give it back to you. And anyway, she did that, and I mean, God turned their marriage around, things changed, this man became a loving man, and God just transformed the situation, it uh, one person can transform a relationship For it to be complete It has to have both people But I tell you what If most of your wives lived With a godly man You would have a godly wife that's right. right. You could impact them Now that's not guaranteed That it's going to be that way Because they have a choice But I'm saying most people If you were to give them an unconditional love They would be so touched by that That they would respond in kind. Have you ever gone to somebody that, you know, you had problems with and you just humbled yourself and instead of saying, well, I'm going to confess that I'm wrong, but really both of us are wrong and you should be confessing that you're wrong, but I'll go ahead and start the thing. You know, if you do it that way, you're just going to, you're going to cause problems. But if you will just come and even though the other person maybe is the one that started the whole thing and you just say, look, I'm sorry, I responded poorly and you humble yourself. And if you don't do it in a way that you are manipulating and and at the same time criticizing them. But if you truly humble yourself and drop your defenses and say, I'm sorry, did you know nine out of ten times that other person will go to saying, you know, I'm sorry too? It'll happen nearly every time. Some of you don't believe that because you've never tried it. But that is true, that if you will humble yourself, that most other people will do that. And it's the same thing. If you started walking in love towards other people, you would find out that you reap what you sow. If you show mercy, you'll reap mercy. If you show love, you'll reap love. But when you are condemning, you reap what you sow. And there are many of you, and I'm not... I'd say the same thing to the ladies. I'm not against you. It's just that the ladies aren't here. I'm talking to you men that many of you are causing the strife and the problems that are in your home because of the way that you are. And you're just reaping things. And, and I'm uh, giving you some credit here that you're doing it because primarily you haven't understood the goodness of God. You haven't understood that it was unconditional. You think God is mean to you, and when you mess up, you think God treats you badly. And so you just model the way that you have understood it. And I've been trying to get across that God's love for you is unconditional. And you've got to understand that God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So these verses say that a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. You've got to understand God's love for you in order to be able to walk in love with other people. And the very reason that we aren't walking in a greater love to other people is because we don't understand how much God loves us. So this morning, I was really trying to emphasize that it has nothing to do with you. God commended His love toward us and why we were yet sinners. And what I want to do tonight, I know that some of you have heard me preach on this before, and I really uh, can't help that. It's just This is what changed my life. And when I'm talking about this, to me, this is the key. This teaching on spirit, soul, and body, some of the things I'm going to be talking about tonight, is the key that opened up the Word of God and unlocked everything to me. And I would be remiss, I think, to try and talk about how God loves us unconditionally, without explaining this, because this is what allowed me to receive the love of God. Again, real quickly, let me give you a a bit of my testimony that I was born again when I was eight. I became a religious Pharisee, and then I had this encounter with the Lord in 1968 where God appeared in His glory, and I saw the holiness of God and immediately recognized my unholiness, my unworthiness, And I humbled myself And I repented and begged God for mercy Not based on any goodness of my own But just made an appeal to His goodness And God poured His supernatural love out on me For four and a half months I was caught up in the presence of God I was gone someplace And it was wonderful But it was super confusing I didn't understand Why God did this My whole life had been trying to do enough good things so that God would give me something, so that I could trade my goodness in and so many good works would equal, you know, something in return. And that had been my mentality and it was when I was at my worst, when I finally ran up a red flag and just said, oh God, I have no goodness in me and I wasn't... Doing anything good is when I experience the love of God. So as long as I had these emotions, it was wonderful and I enjoyed it, but I didn't understand it. And then the emotions left. And there's reasons for that. That's a whole different teaching. But you know, ultimately, God doesn't want you living on an emotional plane. Thank you for that one. That's right. Most people don't understand this. Most people are trying to use their faith and they do things to try and gain some emotional high, some sense of the awareness of God that they don't have to use faith. They can just feel God. It's automatic. That's what nearly everybody's striving for and I'm telling you, God doesn't want you to live that way. God doesn't want you to live on an emotional thing because emotions are fickle. They can go up and down. You know, emotions aren't based in reality. I could come up to you tonight, and I could lie to you, not have a word of truth in anything, but I could come up and say, we just got a phone call, is your name so and so, and you say yes, and say, I just heard that your wife and kids were killed in a car wreck. And it could be a total lie. There'd be no reality to it whatsoever, and yet if you believed what I said, you would go to experiencing Grief, sorrow, panic, you'd want to do something, your emotions would immediately go bonkers and there's no reality to it at all. And then if you found out that I had lied to you, your emotions would go bonkers and, and all I could control your emotions by lying to you and doing things and there'd be no reality to it. Sometimes we think, well, emotions are just a product of what happens. No, it's not. It's a product of how you process and believe and think about what happens. My son died, and I got a call. And I started to have emotions based on those things. But I knew that those emotions would keep my son from ever coming back from the dead. And I chose to sit there and start rejoicing. I didn't feel like it. But I started praising God and thanking God and worshiping God. And did you know that I just chose to operate in joy? And I didn't feel that way. I did it because of my knowledge of the Word of God. And the Spirit of God rose up on the inside of me. And my son, after being dead for five hours, was raised from the dead with no brain damage. No more than before. Amen. (laughs) And it was a miracle. It was a miracle. And I can tell you that emotions are fickle. You cannot go by emotions. Sometimes you just wake up and don't feel good. I've had people come up in lines before and say, would you please pray for me? I'm depressed. And I'll say, what's wrong with you? And they say, well, nothing. Everything's fine. I just feel depressed. Well, the spirit of slap wants to come all over me when I hear something like, you don't even have a reason. You just feel depressed. Pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up and say, who cares how I feel? The joy of the Lord's my strength. I'm gonna rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice and you just pump it up and you make yourself rejoice in God. You ought to get that book entitled Discover the Keys to Staying Full of God. Man, that bothers me that people don't even have an excuse And then, even when you do have something happen, if you are thinking correctly about it, you can rejoice. Like, for instance, when this economic downturn happened, I know what the Word of God says, that my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And because of that... When this recession hit, I just decided I wouldn't participate because God is going to supply my need according to His riches in glory. And so I was looking at the exact same information that the rest of the world is looking at and I chose to rejoice. And when the stock market went down 50%, our investments went up 61%. Some people think, you can't do that. Well, don't wake me up because this is how I'm living my life. And even the guy that invests our stock, he I, he was talking to me and he says, you know, all of our clients have done good during this recession. They've all made positive gain. But he says, "You're the I invest yours the same as I do anybody else's. And he says, yours does better than anybody else. And even the guy that invested doesn't know how it's working. I'm telling you what, I'm blessed. Amen. And you're blessed too, but not everybody believes it. And so what I'm saying is, You can't go by how you feel. And people are seeking for a feeling so that they won't have to trust the Word of God that He never leaves us nor forsakes us. They want it so that they don't have to use faith. It just happens automatically and they can feel it. God does not want you living like that. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. If God wanted to, He could give everybody goosebumps that just go up and down your spine all of the time. That's not God's will. He doesn't want you living like that. You can experience things. I have good feelings. I'm not against emotions. But I'm saying that I do not run my life by emotions. The Lord, uh, it's faith that blesses Him. So I said all of this to say that I had a miraculous emotional experience with God for four and a half months, but it didn't last and it never will. I've actually had people come to me before and said, Would you please pray for me that I could have an experience the way that you did? And I said, No, I won't pray for you because it will destroy most people. You become addicted to those feelings. And if you don't feel God anymore, then you just can't live. Right after all of this happened, I got drafted and sent to Vietnam. And did you know in Vietnam, the emotions left? And I thought that God had forsaken me. And I knew that the Word said He'd never leave us nor forsake us, but I didn't feel Him. And I was fasting. First time I ever fasted was in Vietnam. I was praying. I was begging God, God, where are you? I want this feeling back. I want this joy that I felt. And I was desperate. And uh, I'm just telling you what I experienced. This doesn't make sense, and I don't think it conforms to the Word theologically, but you know, sometimes God will... Meet you where you are, and I was thinking that because I didn't feel anything anymore, and I wasn't just overwhelmed with the love of God, I was thinking that He had left me, and I was griping and complaining about it. And I don't know the theological ramifications of this, but all of a sudden, it's just like God died. I mean, it was like there was no God in the world. I don't, I don't know how this happened. But personally, I believe that part of hell is going to be, it says that there uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, that you were without Christ and without God in the world before you got born again. I think that in hell, there is going to be no goodness. There will be nothing good and no awareness of God and no presence of God. And I experienced that for three days. And I mean, it, it just about killed me. I was a chaplain's assistant and people would come and knock on the door to make an appointment with the chaplain and I couldn't even look at anybody. I hid for three days. I literally got in a closet and piled clothes up over me and hid so that nobody could find me. I couldn't look at any person. I was shaking. It was just like God was gone. And I thought I was not experiencing God before, but boy, God took it. all knowledge of Him and, and just the normal peace that I had. And I mean, I literally was terrified. And for three days, my life was hell. And I was praying and saying, God, what happened? What's going on? And the third day, I just woke up about three o'clock in the morning. I was sleeping on a cot and I woke up kneeling beside the cot and I was praying. And there wasn't bells and whistles. There wasn't the same emotion that I had before, but I was just back to normal. I was just back to peace. And man, I thought, oh God, I'll never beg you for something special again. I had your presence with me and I wasn't even aware of it. I was looking for some emotional thing and not just appreciating what I already had. And man, God, I believe, I don't know the theology of it, but I believe God just taught me a lesson and says, you think I'm not with you? Let me show you what it's like when I'm not with you. And I mean, it was bad. None of you have ever experienced that. It's your worst moment. You've not experienced something like that. So anyway, I don't believe that God wants us to live on just an emotional plane. He wants us to start standing on the Word of God and operating by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I said all that to say that here I was. I admitted I was a hypocrite, that I was a religious Pharisee. I humbled myself God poured His love out on me in a tangible way. For four and a half months, I felt it. I walked in it and then the feeling left and it nearly destroyed my life because I became addicted to that emotion and I was begging and pleading God and praise God that He sent me to Vietnam. Because in Vietnam, after I had this experience, I just determined that I was going to have to do something, and I didn't know what to do, and I just stuck my nose in the Bible and started reading up to 10 to 15 hours a day. And then, when I, I pulled bunker guard every night, and I would pray a minimum of four hours a night on bunker guard. And I mean for anywhere from 15 to 18 hours a day, I was either studying the word or praying. And I begin to get revelation from God's Word that substituted for the feelings I had been after. And I begin to base my relationship on what God's Word said instead of feelings. And if I hadn't have had that experience, and if I hadn't have transitioned from an emotional relationship with God to just standing on what the Word of God says, I can guarantee you that experience I had would have destroyed my life. It would have because I would have compared everything to that. Why don't I feel this anymore? What's happened to me? Is God upset with me? And it would have destroyed me. And so I want to share some of these things that the Lord showed me with you because you could take the things that I've said and you could get to thinking about, man, I don't deserve the love of God. And if you are just focused on your unworthiness, that'll kill you too. You know, out where I live, we live on a dirt road and there's ditches on both sides of the road for drainage. And people, especially like in snow, if you start sliding off to one side of the road, you'll, I'll see this all the time, that there'll be tire tracks that head in one direction and they get into that ditch and they turn so hard trying to get out of it, they hit the ditch on the other side. One ditch isn't better than the other ditch. There's a ditch on both sides of the road. If you're going to get to where you're going, you've got to balance it and stay in between those two ditches. And so it's the same thing with truths. You can get over here to where you're arrogant and thinking, boy, God, what a, what a feather in your cap to have me. That's wrong. You've got to come over here and recognize... That without Him, you are nothing and that you can do nothing. And you've got to recognize that God's love isn't based on your goodness. You don't do anything to get it, therefore you can't do anything to lose it. It's not based on your performance. That's a great truth. But then you can get into a ditch with that to where you just are not seeing who you are in Christ. And so you've got to balance it with this other side about how can God love you? And here's a question that I had, and this really led to a miraculous discovery in my my life. And that is that I had this awareness that I had seen the glory of God, and I knew that relative to God's glory, maybe not relative to other people, but relative to God's glory, that man, I was a zero with the rim knocked off. I was nothing. And I knew that God's love had nothing to do with me and my goodness. But I couldn't understand, how can a holy God love somebody like me? It just did not make sense. And how could holy God use somebody like me? If I hadn't have gotten that question answered, I can guarantee you, you would have never seen me on television. None of you would have ever heard from me. And God began to explain things to me through this teaching that I call spirit, soul, and body. And I hadn't got time to teach the whole thing. I'd encourage you to get that book or series. But here's the point I wanted to get across. I began to recognize that when I got born again, it was my spirit that got changed. And John four twenty four says, God is a spirit. <laughs> and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. If you truly connect with God, if you have a relationship with God, you have to do it through the spirit, not through your physical body and through your soulish, mental, emotional part. And the things that I was saying this morning about not basing your identity on what you do, but instead you base it on the fact that God chose to love you and you find your total self-worth and identity in Him... That's basing your relationship with God on the Spirit, what He has done in your life. But most people base their life on their own actions and your own intellect, what most of us call our personality. And I tell you, that is not the way to live your life because your performance fluctuates. And if your life is up and down and sometimes you're really blessed and excited and happy and everything is awesome and then something happens and you go down, that's because you are in the flesh. That's the only part of you that fluctuates. But the spirit part of you is in union with God and most people do not functionally understand who they are in the spirit. They are looking at themselves in the physical realm and this is why you get upset. And this this is what was blocking me from understanding God's love because I thought, God, I know that you are pure and holy and I'm not. How can holy God have fellowship with unholy man? How could you love me the way that I've experienced, the way that I know that you revealed to me? It doesn't make sense. And what the Lord showed me is that he is a spirit and he is looking at my spirit and my spirit was completely changed when I got born again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And the next verse says, All things are of God who hath reconciled us unto God by himself. When you got born again, it says old things passed away, all things became new. Did you know just by observation, you can tell it's not talking about your physical body. Your body didn't pass away. We've got a promise that we're going to get a glorified body and that, that this will be changed in a moment. But your body isn't saved. That's not what it's talking about. If you were fat before you got saved, you'll still be fat after you get saved. If you were ugly before you got saved, you're still going to be ugly after you get saved. Your physical body didn't change. If you were a man before you got saved, you're still going to be a man after you get saved. That didn't change. And you can also tell that it's not talking about your soul, which is what the Bible, what we would call our personality. It's your mind, your will, your emotions, The personality part of you, did you know it didn't get saved? Because I mean, if you were stupid before you got saved, you're still going to be stupid after you get saved. You don't intellectually just change. Now, you can renew your mind and it can be subject to change, but you aren't old things passed away and all things become new. Did you know you still have memories? You still have a past? You still remember who your parents were? You still remember all of those things? You don't remember what I remember, you still are the same person in the soulish realm that part didn't change so just by observation you can tell that second corinthians 5:17 isn't talking about your body and talking about your soul so what does that leave it's the spirit first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 he's praying a prayer and he says i pray god your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our lord jesus christ Right there he made it very clear that you're three parts, spirit, soul, and body. By observation, your body didn't change, your soul didn't change. And so the part that he's talking about that when you're in Christ, old things have passed away, all things have become new, it's talking about your spirit. And in the spirit realm, you are a completely brand new person. And this is hard for people to understand because you can't perceive your spirit with your five senses. If you want to see what your body's like, you know, if you want to know, have you lost weight? You can go weigh it and see if you've lost weight. You can look in the mirror at it and see if you've lost weight. But you know what? You can't weigh your spirit. You can't look at your spirit in a mirror. How can you see spiritual things? And see, this is a real problem. And this is where I was. I had experienced some things. I knew some things by revelation, but I couldn't understand it because I didn't understand. There was a part of me that I can't see. There's a part of me that I can't feel. There's a part of me that I can't measure. There's a part of me that the only way I can access it is to look at the Word of God. John chapter 6, verse 63 Jesus said it's the, the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. God's word is spirit. It's revealing the spiritual realm to you and the only way you can have an accurate, absolute understanding of what's true in the spirit world out here or on the inside of you. You have a spirit and the only way you can find out what's going on in there is through the word of God. In James chapter 1, it says that the word is like a mirror and whoever looks into this perfect law of liberty and beholds his face then he goes his way and it compares the word of god to a spiritual mirror. If you want to see if your physical hair is combed, you go look in a physical mirror. If you want to see what your spirit man's like, you can't feel. See, this is this was a real problem to me. Because I knew that god loved me. And yet I couldn't understand it. And it was because I was looking at myself on the outside. I was looking at my physical body and I was searching my soul and my emotions and my thoughts. And there were things in it that I didn't like. And I thought, I don't like it. How can a holy God like it? And it was just an obstacle that if I hadn't have understood the things I'm sharing with you right here, I would have basically just said, I can't understand this. I would have had to have let it go. And I would have spent the rest of my life wandering and begging God to give me another experience and touch me again and do something. But what the Lord showed me was that in the Spirit is where I got changed. And God is a Spirit. God sees me in the Spirit. And God looks at me in the Spirit according to a verse, you know, that Arthur used this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. When you got born again, that spirit man on the inside of you was changed and it is totally the work of God. His workmanship. And it was created in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24 says, Put on the new man, which is talking about this spirit part of you, and it says it was created in righteousness and true holiness. When you got born again, the Spirit on the inside of you is righteous. That means in right standing with God. And it is truly holy. I was emphasizing this morning that your physical body and your soul realm, Even after you get saved. And even after you start cleaning yourself up and living the best you can. Your physical body and your soul aren't holy. They may be more holy than they ever were. But you still make mistakes. You still have wrong thoughts and attitudes. You still submit to depression and discouragement and fear and unforgiveness. All of that is unholy. And you, regardless of how good you get, will never be perfect in your physical body and in your soulish man as long as you're breathing in this body. That part of you is unholy. It may be less unholy than it was before, but it still is unholy and it's incapable. And as long as you only see yourself as a two-part being, your body and then your personality, soulish realm, you are going to always struggle with, but God, how could you love me after I did something terrible? But see, the answer is that God's a spirit. John 4, 24. God is looking at you in the spirit and that spirit was created righteous and truly holy. It says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, speaking of Jesus, so are we in this world. Not so are we going to be in the next world. So are we in this world. And people will think, what? And they'll go look in the mirror and think, I'm the way that Jesus is? No, not your physical body. You may see zits and baldness and bulges and all kinds of things that aren't like Jesus. It's not talking about your physical body's like Jesus, and it's not talking about your soulish realm. You aren't operating in perfection in your thoughts. Matter of fact, the scripture says first. Corinthians chapter 13, that now we know in part, and we only prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then we will know all things, even as also we are known. You don't know everything in your mind yet. Your mind isn't like Jesus, so the part that you can perceive through your emotions and your perception and look at it in the physical mirror, that part's not like Jesus, but again, the only part of you that's left is the spirit. It's the spirit man that is identical to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. One spirit. And that doesn't mean a similar spirit, that God's up here and we're down here. Big spirit, little spirit. It means identical The Greek word is hes, H-E-I-S, and it means a singular one to the exclusion of another. We aren't parallel. We aren't similar. We are identical. In your spirit, you are ounce for ounce and molecule for molecule, if there are those kind of things in the spirit realm, identical to Jesus. And there's many scriptures that talk about this. In Galatians chapter 4, it says, He sent forth the spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, It says in Romans chapter 8 verse 9, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You have to have the Spirit of Christ, not a Spirit from Christ, but the Spirit of Christ. He sent his Spirit of his Son into your heart. Your born-again Spirit is the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are identical to him. You are equal to him, not in your actions but in your spirit. He put His Son in your heart and you are joint heirs with Him. Now see, if you understand that, that balances what I was saying this morning about that it's no great worth or value in your part and you need to switch your identity and your sense of worth from you and what you're doing to what Jesus put on the inside of you and see yourself in the Spirit. And once you understand that, now... I can understand how God loves me. I can understand how God uses me. If I was God, I wouldn't have picked me just based on my flesh. But you know what? In the Spirit, I understand now how God can love me and God can treat me just as if I never had any sin because in my spirit, I don't have any sin. It is righteous and truly holy. And then Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 Let me just turn over and read that because I'm not sure I can quote that whole verse. But Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 says, In whom we have trusted, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now, when you got born again, you were created in righteousness and true holiness in your spirit. As Jesus is, that's the way that your spirit is in this world. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. All of those things are true. And then the moment you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You were vacuum packed. The Holy Spirit encased your born again spirit. So that no impurities can enter into it. And if you sin as a believer, you sin with your physical body or you sin in your thought, emotional realm, and sin can enter your physical body, bring sickness to you, throw you in prison, cause you physical consequences. Sin can let the devil come in and torment you in your emotions, in your feelings, and in your perceptions. It can harden your heart towards God and make you dull and unperceptive But sin does not penetrate that barrier, that seal that's around your spirit. And so the holiness and the righteousness being identical to Jesus in your spirit is something that is sanctified and perfected forever. It never changes. And since God is a spirit and he's looking at you in the spirit then even though you've messed up, even though you've sinned, even though you aren't who you are supposed to be, when you come to the Lord and say, Father, He's looking at you in the Spirit and He sees you perfect and pure and holy even though there could be sin and defilement in your flesh. Boy, that changed my life. That changed my life. I quit basing my relationship with God on my performance and recognize that God just made me righteous. And I have access to God through Jesus, not because I deserve it, not because I'm acting so, but God just made me righteous. I was created righteous, and now I base my relationship on what Jesus did. And when I mess up, it doesn't make me feel like God's forsaken me because I know that God is looking at me in the spirit, man, and it's sealed And that imperfection didn't penetrate it. And it didn't defile my relationship with God. But what it did when I mess up, when I sin, it gives Satan an inroad into my life to affect my actions, to affect people's uh, relationship with me, to affect my emotions. And so if I find out that I've done something wrong and I've offended people or done something, you know what, I'll repent of it and I'll take this cleansing that's already on the inside of me And by me submitting to God and going back and yielding to Him, I let the power and the life that's on the inside once again cleanse my emotions and flow through my body and purge me of whatever sickness or disease or problem I've allowed in. So I still try and act right, but when I do mess up, I know that it hasn't affected God's attitude towards me one bit. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying, but this is so different than what religion teaches. And if you think that every time you sin, that God, it's like a new offense against Him, and it's got to be put under the blood again, and your relationship with God hasn't been impaired, and you've got to do something to get it back right and to earn God's favor again, that's why people say, I just don't understand how much God loves me, because you think... It is only a momentary, temporary thing until the next time you sin. And you aren't going to have any peace thinking that way because you know what? You will sin again. (laughs) If I really thought that your relationship with God fluctuated based on all of your performance and there's varying interpretations of this. The Pentecostal denominations will preach every time you sin, you lose your salvation. And if you were to die before you got that sin confessed, you would go to hell. Even though you might have been born again for 20 years, pastor to church, loved God, have done great things, you sin one time, and if you die before you get that sin confessed, you go to hell. That's what the Pentecostals believe. Baptists and other denominations believe a lesser interpretation, but it's the same thing. That if you have a sin in your life, God won't send you to hell. Once saved, always saved, but He won't answer your prayers. He won't fellowship with you. You can't be used of God. You'll lose your joy. You'll lose your peace. It's the exact same principle with lesser consequences. Neither one of those are true. God is not basing His relationship with you on your performance. He's basing it on who you are in Christ. And if you've been born again, you are as righteous and holy and pure as Jesus in your spirit. You're sealed. Nothing you do changes that. And even though you may be out living in terrible sin, you could be letting Satan just run over you and steal your joy and your peace and all of these things. But if you were truly born again, you're still righteous. And you would die and go to be with the Lord. I know some of you. Have a hard time believing that because that's not what you've been taught, but I believe that's what the Bible says. Let me give you a few scriptures on that. In Hebrews chapter 9, look at these verses. Hebrews chapter 9 in verse 12, it says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Ephesians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1 says redemption which is the forgiveness of your sins. Redemption is talking about the forgiveness of your sins and this says we have eternal redemption. You aren't redeemed, forgiven of sins just until the next time you sin and then you got to get forgiven again. Or, as the Pentecostals believe, you, got, you lose your salvation and you've got to repent and be born again again. Save, loss, save, loss, save, loss. Born again, 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 again. And you're just constantly having to go and it, bases, it makes your relationship with God based on you and on how holy you're living. And in case you hadn't figured this out yet, you aren't stable. You mess up. And you aren't ever going to have any stability and joy and peace in your life as long as it's based on you. And some of you are under the deception of, Oh no, I'm really trying. I'm doing good. I've lived holier than most of you have ever thought about. And I guarantee you, it wasn't enough. Some of you are thinking you're going to reach a place to where you're so holy that God, you'll just experience God on a brand new level because you're going to deserve it. And I'm telling you, you're... You're chasing something that doesn't exist. Your conscience will always condemn you. I remember one day I got up and fasted and prayed and I read all of the New Testament except the book of Matthew. I started in Mark and read the entire New Testament in one day. And I was so smug thinking about, look what I did. And I was just praising God for how awesome I was. And as soon as I started doing that, I had the thought come to me about... You were up 17 hours and you only spent 16 hours reading it, And I began to start being condemned because I was basing my goodness on what I had done and it wasn't perfect. It's never going to be perfect. I don't care how hard you try. You are never going to be perfect. The only way to have peace with God is being justified by faith. Romans 5.1. You've got to start basing your relationship with God on what Jesus did for you and who you are in the Spirit because that never fluctuates. You fluctuate. You're hot and cold, but your Spirit, man, is perfect. It's sealed. It never fluctuates. I can't tell you guys how important that is. If this isn't doing something for you, you aren't getting a revelation of what I'm saying. This is a total identity change. Yeah, right. That's right. Most of you think you know who you are, but it's all based on your physical actions, your mental, emotional thoughts. Very few Christians know who they are in Christ. And so when it comes time to pray for a dead person, you think, oh, I've never done anything. That's all your soulish man. I'm not sure. Uh, they taught me that you can't do this. And all of those fears and insecurities are all your carnal person. But in the Spirit, you have the exact same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He promised you the works that Jesus did, you can do. And if you are uh, embarrassed or intimidated by death, by cancer... By whatever it is, it's because you're living as a physical, human, natural man. In your spirit, you are identical to Jesus, and you ought to have the same response to problems that Jesus had, if you were in the spirit. The problem is, most of us aren't in the spirit, we're in the flesh. And you can't get in the spirit by just praying to be that way, asking for something. The Word is spirit, and it is life. You've got to get in and renew your mind. This is like a window into the spiritual realm. You can't see in the spiritual realm any other way. Into God's spiritual realm. You can get into the demonic realm a number of different ways. By getting high on dope. Sitting in a lotus position and going And There's a lot of ways that you can get into the demonic realm. But if you want to get into God, you're going to have to go through the word of God. This is how you see into the spirit and perceive what is spiritually true. So this says, you can't go to a mirror and see this. You can't just do it intuitively and go by your feelings. But the Word says that you have reta- obtained eternal redemption. Not redemption until the next time you sin and then you're unredeemed and now you've got to get re-redeemed. You've got eternal redemption. In verse 15... It says, and for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption, that's the forgiveness of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Again, so many people believe that you only have an inheritance for a brief period of time. Until the next time you mess up and then you lose it and then you got to be born again again and etc. And they don't have the concept of eternal inheritance, eternal redemption. It's only momentary based on your actions. If you believe that, you do not understand how Jesus loved you and therefore you will wind up giving conditional love to everybody else you'll love them when they're worth loving and when they mess up you'll reject them the same way that you believe that God rejects you you can't give a person love unconditional love if you haven't ever received it and it goes on in Romans chapter i mean in Hebrews chapter 9 to just say this five different times it emphasizes that Jesus died once The priest enter in many times and offer over and over and over and over and over and over over sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he offered sins once, once for sin, Jesus is not forgiving you of sins every time you commit a sin. When you ask Jesus to forgive your sins, he forgave your sins past, present, and future sins. Sins that you haven't even committed were forgiven. Your sins have been washed out. God is not imputing sin unto you. He's not holding it against you. God is not nitpicking and looking at you and critiquing you and criticizing you constantly the way that you think He is. It's your own conscience that's condemning you. Then in Hebrews chapter 10. Man, I wish I had time to read all of these scriptures, but I'm going to have to skip down to verse 10. It's talking about Jesus died and put his last will and testament into effect. And we are having inheritance with God, not because you deserve it, but because you received it as an inheritance, as an heir with Jesus. And in verse 10 it says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. If you were to read the book of Hebrews and get what he's really saying, the whole point, he's contrasting the way it was done under the Old Covenant with the way it's done under the New Covenant. And in chapters 9 and chapter 10, the major point he's making is that in the Old Testament, every time you sinned, you had to go offer a sacrifice for your sin and get that sin under the blood. That's because sins never were forgiven under the Old Testament. They were only covered. It was a picture, it was a type, a shadow, but there was no reality of it. And so it says it was necessary that the things that were just pictures, you had to go through this. But now we have the reality, and Jesus only died for your sins one time, 2,000 years ago. If a person struggles to say, how can God forgive a sin before I committed it? Well, then you can't be saved because he only died once 2,000 years ago. He hasn't died since you were born. He died for your sins and he forgave the sins of the entire world in advance. 1 John chapter 2 verse 2 says he is the propitiation. That word means (laughs) atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus forgave the sins of the entire world and now it's not their individual sins that are their problem. It just comes down to one sin. Do you accept or reject Jesus? And if you reject Jesus, that's what sends people to hell, not their individual sins. Jesus died for all of your sins. And when you get born again, you get this new spirit that was created righteous and truly holy And sealed by the Holy Spirit So that sin can't penetrate it And even though we still continue to fail And give Satan inroad into our body And into our soul He never enters into our spirit It never breaks that seal You remain as righteous and holy And pure as the very moment You were first born again And God is looking at you in the spirit And he is just to love you Just as if you'd never sinned Because in the Spirit, you never have sinned. You're holy and you're pure. And you need to worship God in spirit and in truth. So this says that you were sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest, here it is contrasting with the Old Testament, every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Jesus only offered one sacrifice for sin. He is not in heaven re-forgiving you every time you mess up. He dealt with all of your sins. It's already dealt with. Just think about the logistics of Jesus having to forgive every person's sins every time they sin. There are billions of people on this planet, not everybody's asking for sins, but if you just took the billions of people who are born again, who sin multiple times every day, how could Jesus be forgiving all of their sins and getting them under the blood and purging them billions and billions and billions of times every 24 hours? Some people think, well, he's God. He can do anything. I'm telling you, he dealt with all of your sin one time and he is not having to re-forgive you. You didn't lose God's favor. He's not put out with you. He's not ignorant of what you do and he loves you in spite of your sin, but he loves you so much that even after you're born again and your sins are forgiven, He'll still help you to overcome pornography and overcome destructive lifestyles and overcome things that destroy people and hurt you. And He will help you and He will deal with those things, but He does not base His relationship with you on how you're living. He's basing it on who you are in the Spirit. And then it says in verse 14, this is chapter 10, verse 14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Verse 10 says you were sanctified by one offering for all. And verse 14 says if you were sanctified, you have been perfected forever. You're perfect. Not perfect in your physical body. Not perfect in your mind, in your emotions, in your thoughts. But in your born-again spirit, you have been perfected forever. Amen. Not until the next time you sin and you lose it and then you've got to start all over again. You've been perfected forever. And to prove that, look in chapter 12. Remember that the book of Hebrews wasn't written in chapter and verses. That was added. This was all one letter. It was the same author speaking. And this is still a part of the same thing. And he says in Hebrews chapter 12... And in verse 22 it says but you are come unto mount Zion and unto the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect This is the same letter the same writer and what part of it is you that what part of you is it that was made perfect It says it was your spirit. Your body's not perfect. You're going to get a glorified body. Your mind's not perfect. You're in the process of renewing your mind and it fluctuates. But your spirit is perfect. It's identical to Jesus. It's been sealed. It never changes. And because of this, Almighty God is justified in loving you. Because He made a part of you. He made you a new person that is His workmanship created in righteousness and holiness. You have the same capability. You have the mind of Christ. You already have the faith of Christ. You don't need more faith. You've already got it. You've got to renew your mind to what you've already got. God has made you perfect. You are identical. You are in God's class in the Spirit. You are a God being in the Spirit. And because of that, God Almighty can fellowship with you. You can walk boldly under the throne of grace to find grace and find mercy to help in a time of need. Man, that's awesome. This changed my life. I quit. I changed personalities. I changed identities. Before I was an introvert, I couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. You know why? Because I was looking at my flesh. And my flesh isn't the best flesh around. I was searching my emotions and my mental part. And my mental part's not the best part around. I just was constantly being shown up. I never was the best at anything. And you know what? I used to know myself only in the natural realm. And because of that, I was inferiority-minded, self-conscious, and it held me back. And then I found out I'm a brand-new person in Christ. And even though my flesh may not be as good as your flesh, my spirit is identical to Jesus. My spirit's perfect. And as long as I'm basing my life on who I am in the spirit, I'm capable of doing anything. I can do all things through Christ. And because of that, I've seen the blind eyes open, deaf ears open. I've seen people come out of wheelchairs. I've seen the dead raised. I have seen God provide finances supernaturally. I have rejoiced when I should have been crying. I am capable of doing anything through Christ, not through my flesh. My flesh isn't better. Some people think, well, I, I admit that that's true of a carnal Christian, but I'm becoming spiritual. What spiritual is, is means you are getting to where you rely more on who you are in Christ and you are less and less and less in the flesh. But your flesh is still flesh. And your flesh, those that are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans chapter 8, I think it's around verse 5 or 6. You cannot please God in the flesh. Your flesh may be better than my flesh, but your flesh is still incapable of having a relationship with God. If you are trying to find Him only emotionally, mentally, and perceive Him in some physical, natural realm, you're always going to come up short. And it will always come and go because the physical, natural realm changes. Your perceptions change. If you get tired, you aren't going to feel the presence of God the same as when you're fresh. You can get sick and it affects the way that you feel. There's just all kinds of things that happen in the physical realm. As long as you are trying to relate to God based on your carnal self, your personality, emotions, and your physical realm, you're going to always miss Him because God is a spirit. And if you're going to worship Him, truly connect with Him, you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And brothers, we've got to get out of basing God's love for us upon who we are in our physical person and find out that the reason God loves us, He loved us before we were born again, before we had this spirit, just because He was good. There was not based on any of your worth. And now that you're born again, He's made you a new person that is now worthy of fellowshipping with God. That is holy. You are in His class If you were to walk into heaven in your spirit man, and if an angel came up and says, what makes you worthy? How could you approach God? See, in the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies where God dwelt had all kinds of barriers. It had uh, curtains that kept you from the presence of God. And in Hebrews chapter 8, it says we can't talk about this stuff anymore because the veil has been rent in two. And it says specifically, we can't talk about the cherubs that were over the Ark of the Covenant. You know why you can't talk about them? Because they were there to keep people away from God. But through Jesus, He has broken the veil and the cherubs are no longer going to stop you from entering into the very holy of God. You can run up to God and sit on His lap as long as you're in the Spirit and not in your flesh and basing it on your own goodness. Man, that's awesome. And if an angel was to come up and say, what makes you worthy? You could rebuke him and say, if any man, even an angel is trying to impute carnal things unto you. This is what Paul said in Galatians chapter one. Let him be accursed. If any man preaches any other gospel than what I've said, let him be accursed. If an angel stood between you and God and tried to stop you, if you were basing it on what Jesus did for you and who you are in the spirit, you could command Gabriel, Michael, to get out of the way because you have right and authority. You are in God's class. Man, that's awesome. And you know what? If you could live at this level, some of you are getting a little glimpse of what I'm saying tonight. But very few people live this way. You might get a glimpse in tonight. You might go to bed thinking, God, it's awesome that you love me. And then tomorrow morning, you wake up and you go back to every morning. You get up and curse the day and talk about how you're tired and you didn't sleep good. And you just get into this routine and you get back in the flesh before you know it. And then you come next year and think, man, I heard this last year. How come I didn't remember this? Why didn't I walk in this? If you could live at this place, I guarantee you, it would change your life. And when somebody goes to criticizing you and doing something, it wouldn't matter because you know who you are in Christ and, and you wouldn't be as defensive. You wouldn't be as easily hurt You know, people come out and criticize me all the time. And rather than try and justify myself and say, I was okay to do this because I have to feel good about myself or I'll just be depressed and discouraged. I've learned that I don't feel good about my flesh. And when people criticize me, I'm quick to say, I probably did mess up. I probably didn't say this as good as I could have. I should have... Done something else and I just go back and say, thank God for Jesus. Thank God for who I am in the Spirit. I do not have to be right to feel good about me because I've got a new part of me that is always right. It's because of what Jesus did. And I can admit that I make mistakes. I can humble myself and I can repent. There are some of you that can't admit that you've made a mistake. There are some of you that just will not let yourself say, I've really messed up and I'm a jerk. You won't say that, because if you did, how could you live with yourself? It's because you don't know that you're a new person in Christ Jesus. You don't have your new identity, and you're trying to maintain this old flesh. I tell you, it's a position of strength. The Bible says, agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way. Most people, when they get criticized, they start trying to justify themselves. I was not wrong. I'm right. You're the one that's wrong. And we start pointing the finger. It's that woman that you gave me. And we want to blame somebody else. But you know what? The scripture says agree with your adversary. When the devil comes and starts condemning you, here's what I do. I just say, you know what? You got me. I'm a mess. Thank God that God loved me completely independent of myself and that in the spirit, man, I am awesome and I just retreat back into the spirit and I don't argue with the devil. Amen? My worth isn't based on what I've done. And again, I was making this point this morning, but you know we've been through a lot of hard times and there was times that nobody believed God called me to the ministry. Nobody believed. There wasn't any evidence of it. Now we're seeing good things happening because of it. Did you know in the natural I could shift my sense of worth over to God? Look what we're doing. Look how many people we're touching. But the moment you do that, there's always going to be something I mess up in There's going to come along somebody else who will minister better than I do that has a bigger ministry than I do. And the moment my self-worth is transferred to what I do, then I'm susceptible to comparing myself and being discouraged and feeling like, oh God, how come you aren't blessing me like this minister over here? And this is where you get into all your problems. But as long as I stay on what Jesus has done for me, then it doesn't matter if somebody's bigger and better than me and can do more. It doesn't matter because that's not where I find my joy and peace. And I can just be content that, Father, I'm doing what you're calling me to do and I am content because of who I am in you. And you don't have this comparing. You don't feel. You aren't in competition with everybody. I had one of my employees today talking about another minister saying, but you're better. You're a better minister. I like you a lot better. And I said, you know, that's not good to compare yourselves among yourselves. I'm not better than this other person. We're just different. If everybody was like me, the body of Christ would be a mess. We need other people in the body of Christ that provide things that I don't provide. I'm only a portion of what God is doing. And it's not that I'm better than this other guy or that they're better than me. I'm me. They're them. There's people that I reach that won't listen to other people. There's other people that will preach the exact same thing and people will listen to them that they wouldn't ever listen to me. It's not about us. It's about God trying to reach people. And the Lord has different people of all different age groups and different personality types and different ways of expressing things because He loves everybody and He's got to do all of these different things to reach everybody. It's not good to compare yourself and say that I'm as good as he is or I'm better. Man, you need to find your identity in Christ and just do what Jesus called you to do and be absolutely content with that. You know, I was with Oral Roberts right before he died and a person asked him a question and basically they were saying, you've changed a generation. You brought this truth that God is a good God. Something good is going to happen to you today. And they were saying, how do we change our generation? How can one person change a generation? And everybody was waiting for his response. And he says, you can't change a generation. You can't change a nation. You can't do any of that. And he says, I never started out to change anything. I just did what God told me to do. And he says, God is the only one that can change a nation. And it won't be through one person But God will take what this person is doing and how they yield and He'll take this. And God is the only one that can orchestrate this all together and make it work so that it changes a nation and changes a culture. He says, you can't do that. Just do what God told you to do and let God knit it all together. Man, I thought that was great wisdom. I thought that was tremendous wisdom. But see, people again get into themselves and think, well, it's me that's doing these things. I'm powerful. You're nothing. You are nothing. But God in you, that born-again portion is awesome. And if you'll just walk in the Spirit and worship God in Spirit and in truth, then God can take what He's leading you to do and God can use it and God can change things. But you know what? When it happens... He gets all the credit, not you. If you struggle with pride, it's because you don't understand that it was nothing about you that made God move in your life. It was totally His grace and His goodness. And He made you a new person. And now He is flowing through you because you are yielding to Him and denying yourself. And the moment you get into pride, and the moment you start glorifying yourself and reading your own press releases... You're fixing the fall. (coughs) Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. I can show you so many cases in the Word of God that a person got lifted up with what they had done. Solomon, when he was small, sought God, and then he became so powerful and so influential, and he forgot God and thought that he could do it on his own. And man, he fell big time. It's like flying in an airplane. It's not you that's flying. It's that airplane that's flying. And you can sit here and think, man, I'm going 600 miles an hour at 35,000 feet. I am awesome. You aren't awesome. That plane's awesome. And it's your position in that plane that allows you to do these things. If you don't believe it, step outside the plane and see how you fly. You'll fall like a rock. You step outside of who you are in Christ and get to thinking that, man, I can do it. I am something special and I guarantee you, you'll fall like a rock. And it's not God who's casting you down. It's not God who's punishing you and showing you something. No, it's just that this is how he's ordained that it works. He's made you a new person. And as long as you're walking in the Spirit and flowing in the Spirit, then the supernatural power of God, the fruit of the Spirit, will flow through you. The gifts of the Spirit will flow through you. But you get into your flesh and you have stepped out of the Spirit. You are back into a carnal human being. And I guarantee you, somebody's always going to be better than you. The devil can defeat you. The devil's smarter than you. He can whoop you. You'll never make it. You've got to learn to be in Christ. And this, these things that I've tried to say here tonight have transformed my life. And this is what really helped me to understand. I experienced the love of God, but I didn't understand it. And I would have lost it if I hadn't have gained some understanding. Ultimately, an experience is not going to change your life. It can get your attention. It can get you fired up. But as you think in your heart, that's the way you're going to be. Proverbs 23, 7. And if your thinking is wrong, I don't care what you experience. I don't care how much God touches you and I don't care if you have a goosebump going up and down your spine and fire shooting out of your fingers or whatever it is. If you are basing your life on a feeling and on an experience, it will eventually fade and it won't work. It is going to be the way you think that controls your life. And you have to renew your mind and understand that it's the Spirit part of you, that you were nothing apart from God. And then when you confessed Him, you became a new person. You are sealed. It never fluctuates. And the only way you can get back into that Spirit is through the Word of God. It's It's Spirit and it's truth. It's the only way you know what's going on in the Spirit. And you just have to base your life upon what the Word of God says about you, independent of your feelings and independent of what things look like, you just base your life on what the Word of God says. And you do that, and it starts working. Isn't that simple? <laughs> Man, that is super powerful. That is powerful. Again, I don't know if, if you understand how powerful that is. But that, that is something that very, very few people understand. Very few people have heard it. Very, less people understand it, and there are very few people who live like that. Most people live in their flesh and base their life on the external physical things that they can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, their five senses. Very few people base their life on who they are in the Spirit, and yet that is the key. There's so many scriptures talking about if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, and on and on it goes. Man, this is the key. And it's not the easiest thing you've ever done. It's, si- it's as simple as what I've described. But it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. To get to know who you are in the Spirit and let that override what you see and feel about yourself. The only way you can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God and revealing it to you. And it, it's a miracle of the Holy Spirit. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. And it's not something that happens instantly. It's a progression. Amen? Amen. But it's well worth the effort. It's as simple as what I described, but you'll spend the rest of your life trying to renew your mind. Praise God. And this is what we're doing in our Bible college. we're just saturating people in these truths. And helping them to see who they are in Christ. And I tell you, it's changing people's lives. We're raising up a generation of ministers that are going to go out and take these truths. And I believe it's got the potential of changing the world. I can't do that, but we're equipping people. And if you know, depending on how we respond to the Lord, God could orchestrate this and it could impact the entire body of Christ worldwide. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I love you and I thank you for these truths that have changed my life. And I'm just asking that the Holy Spirit would take these words and the things that I've tried to share from my heart and that you would open up people's hearts here tonight to receive these truths. Father, for those that have been trapped in themselves, in their carnal self, and they're constantly trying to change themselves and overcome all of these problems and addictions and hang-ups. Father, I pray that they just, they just lay all of that down and start rejoicing in who you've made them. See themselves that way. And then as they think in their heart, that's the way that they'll be. That they'll break all of these bondages as a byproduct of dwelling in you instead of trying to break those things in order to get into you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just believe that you are speaking this to people and it is becoming a reality that the Holy Spirit will bring these words back to our remembrance and that, Father, we'll walk in this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I had a man come up to me tonight who had been, he said he's been through multiple recovery groups trying to overcome uh, pornography addiction and he's been through everything that you could go through and then he got hold of this teaching found out who he is in Christ and in four months time he was totally delivered of it broken and he's not had any of those problems I can't totally explain that, but I'm just telling you, when you understand what God has done for you and you see who you are and you understand that it has nothing to do with you and it's just God, it makes you so thankful, it makes you so gracious, uh, grateful for what He's done that you just wind up serving God better accidentally than you ever did on purpose before. It just changes your life. And I know that there's some of you guys that struggle with all kinds of things. It doesn't matter what your problem is. What I've discussed here tonight would solve your problem. You would overcome inferiority. You'd overcome bitterness. You'd overcome hurt and pain, rejection. You'd overcome sickness. You'd overcome disease. In your spirit there is no sickness. There is no poverty. If you could just start seeing who you are and think that way as you think in your heart, that's the way you are going to be. And I can turn that verse around and say this, that however you are right now, you are that way because that's the way you've thought. Somebody's told you you were a jerk, that you were a mess, and you bought into it, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you could see who you are in Christ and see what Jesus says about you, and if you could truly live in the Spirit, not visit there every once in a while, but if you could live in the Spirit... You would wind up reproducing the love, the joy, the peace, the anointing, the victory, and all of these things that are in you. It would just come naturally. You don't have to force it. It would be effortless change. Man, that's awesome. There's a verse in Luke 24, 45. Jesus was talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus after His resurrection, and they didn't recognize Him. He spent two hours talking to him, and they didn't even notice him. Didn't know who he was. It says their eyes were holding. I've got a great hour and a half long teaching on that, but you know what? They were in the flesh. They were trying to figure it out with their brain instead of knowing him by the Spirit. And it says in Luke 24, 45, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. This teaching on spirit, soul, and body, it's just like somebody stuck a key in my brain and turned it. When I saw this, the whole Word opened up to me. I began to understand things. And I believe that the Lord wants to open up your understanding so that you can understand the Scriptures. To me, this is the key that did it for me. And all of us could use this to a degree, but I know that there's some of you that this is totally brand new. And unless God does something supernatural, you're going to lose this. It's like you don't have a handle on this. There's no way to grab hold of it. I'd like to... I just want to pray for you and pray for a supernatural revelation that God would open up your understanding that you could understand this. If you feel like you need that, I want you to stand right now and I'm going to pray for you and we're going to believe God to unlock your understanding and help you get hold of this. And if this touches you the way that it's touched me... This is going to change your life. I really believe that. This would change your life. Father, I pray for all of these who are standing. Father, all of us, we need a greater understanding, but especially for these who are standing. Father, we're just saying that we cannot know these things and retain it apart from you. So just as you did with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Father, we're asking that you would open up our understanding that we might understand these truths that we've talked about tonight. We pray, John 14, 26, that the Holy Spirit would bring back to our remembrance these things that you've spoken unto us. And that, Father, these words would, like it says in Luke 24, that they would burn within us. Like Jeremiah said, it'd be like fire shut up in our bones. That, Father, these truths would burn out all of the guilt and the condemnation and the wrong thinking that has been plaguing all of our lives and causing these problems. We just welcome your Holy Spirit to give us supernatural revelation right now. I loose this in all of these lives in Jesus' name. An ability to understand the Scriptures, to see who we are in Christ. And what you've done. To change our identity from the flesh to the spirit. And Father, we thank you. We believe that you want this more than we want it. And so we are absolutely confident that you are doing this. And that you're changing our lives. Thank you, Jesus. According to James chapter 1, we receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our soul. We receive this word. We hide it in our heart. And Father, I believe that this is going to transform us. And we thank you for that. We agree and receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, Well, let me remind you, we got uh, snacks, coffee, and things back there. You know, I'd like to ask some of our Bible college students, if some of you uh, are here, and if you didn't get prayer last night or something, if you want prayer, could we get some of our second? The healing school. Let's have the healing school people come down here. And if you need prayer for anything, there will be people down here to pray with you. The rest of you, you're dismissed. Remember, we start at 7 in the morning with breakfast. We start our first service at 8.30 in the morning, and we'll have two sessions in the morning. You're going to get to hear Greg Moore tomorrow and I tell you, you'll be blessed by him. So make sure you come back. So if we could have some of our healing school people come down here. If you need prayer for anything, please come forward and let us pray with you. You're dismissed.